one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite movies from a movie that maybe some of you have never seen before. The movie is called What About Bob? Bill Murray plays a guy by the name of Bob who is scared of everything. And so Bob is working with his counselor and his counselor is being driven nuts by Bob because Bob is just taking baby steps. He's taking baby steps. And, and don't mishear me. I'm not making light of people who have phobias. I have plenty of them myself. I'm make, make, not making fun of people who worry. I worry enough for everybody in this room. But the way in which they demonstrate this is hilarious. And so one of the things that they want Bob to do is they want Bob to actually experience it. Not just know it, but they want him to experience it. He has this great love and this great hope that he is going to be this great sailor and he's going to get out on the open water. And, and so they're trying to get him to be able to do this. And so finally, he experiences it. And yes, he's tied to the mast of the sailboat. But you saw him, he said, I'm sailing, I'm sailing. He says, I'm a sailor, I sail now, I sail. And he's absolutely overcome with joy. Because for Bob, just to know that he could sail and to experience it, two entirely different things. We know that to be true in our own lives as well. To know about something and to experience something it's entirely different. Think about my life in, in, in basketball. I, I grew up and I had a goal. I played high school basketball. I know uh, I'm not nearly fast enough or, or tall enough, but I played. Grew up in North Dakota, so anybody could play basketball in North Dakota. And I had this great dream that at some day in my life, I was going to dunk. And I knew, and I could study, and I had all of the ideas of the great dunks that I would do. Jeremy Johnson, extraordinaire, who would be able to do the monster jams like the, but I never experienced it. I mean, yeah, I used trampolines many times in my life where I brought a hoop down so I could do it on my own. But I knew about it, but I didn't experience it. So what we're going to talk about today as we continue on in this Jesus run. The difference between knowing and experiencing. The difference between having an understanding in your head, but being able to live it out. And what does that mean in our faith? I mean, a lot of us, a lot of us have grown up or a lot of us have gone, gone through a, a lot of our lives and we've gone through a lot of our lives and we've known about God and we've known of God and, and maybe we, we grew up in, in a house or in a school where, where we were forced to know all of the rules and all of the verses and, and do all of the things that would make us be good Christians and we, we knew it all but the distance between the head and the heart was one that was never able to be bridged. That's why this text that we have tonight is so important. We're two-thirds of the way through the Jesus run. We're two-thirds of the way through this series that we're taking, going through the book of Matthew as we, tra as we go through the, the transition through the, the season of Lent, the 40 days, taking out the Sundays, the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday, Holy Week. 
As we do it, we're seeing this movement, this kingdom. From the very beginning of his ministry, one of the first things that Jesus says after his baptism, the first thing he says when we look at Mark's gospel, Mark's account of Jesus' life, the first thing that Jesus says is the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is so close that we can touch it. We can, we can experience it. That Heaven will... touch earth and we've seen glimpses of it all along the way as Jesus calls his first disciples as Jesus performs the miracles and he heals the, the man who's paralyzed as Jesus feeds the multitudes But to know all of that, to experience it, it's, it's different. And while we're on this Jesus run, we're following friendly Jesus around the worship center. And I know a lot of you have already taken your selfies with friendly Jesus. And if you're new uh, at Hope, friendly Jesus, yes, is a plushed mini Jesus that has been making his way all throughout the worship center. And if you take your selfie even if you're 65 or older, if you take your selfie with Friendly Jesus, you take it to Connect, Grow, Serve, and we have a treat for you because we want you to experience the fun and the joy as well. And I don't know where Jesus is in the worship center, but I have a feeling that you should look up, maybe that way, and maybe they're giving it away on the screens. I can't tell because I don't look because if I look at the screens, I get too scared. But not only are we touring around with Friendly Jesus, but we're also... Uh, connecting with this mission partner that we have, Ruth Harbor. We have this Lent campaign called the Home of Hope. One of the questions I think that we always need to ask ourselves as a church, and you're the church. You don't come to church, you're, you are the church. It's a movement that we're a part of. And all of us here are a part of Lutheran Church of Hope, no matter how long. Maybe you've been at Hope for all of about 26 minutes in your life. Welcome to the family. You're a part of our family. And sometimes you look at the people in your family like, mm, these are my family. Yeah, we're your family. And we're glad that you're here with us. And we need to ask ourselves as a church, as a family, if we did not exist, would anybody notice? It's what allows us to stay on mission. Our mission is to reach out to the world around us and to share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And we do that by gathering together in worship, but we also do that by connecting to the needs that exist across the globe and also in our own neighborhood. And did you hear that in Hope 360? Maybe you weren't here by that time. Hope 360, as a church, as a body of believers... Partnering with Ruth Harbor, which was very intentional. Every Advent, the season before Christmas, every Lent, the season before Easter, our mission team prays and, and they, they discern, God, where, where could you use us to make an impact in the world? And it's always this, like, this, this, this leap of faith to trust that God is going to put this incredible project in front of us and, and God did it again. So partnering with Ruth Harbor... We can help to minister to women who are facing unplanned pregnancies. That as a church, where there is a need, 
where we can bring life, we can't stand idly by. So there's a hope, there's a home in Carlisle that as we talked to Mark McDougall, the, the, the head of Ruth Harbor, an organization that was started by three women that were a part of this church, God had given him the vision that if we could only purchase another home, we could minister to so many more women, so many more children. And then the perfect home came open. The McCoy Septuplets, a house that had way more space than the parents needed once the kids went off to school. And who would ever need a house that's built with seven bedrooms, except for women who maybe have lost theirs because of what's going on in their life. So it was the perfect home. If only they had the resources to purchase it. So that's hope, that's where you stepped in. We still have two weeks left and already over $250,000. Praise God for the $250,000. Two hundred and seventy-six, or some crazy number. We're not there yet. We need four hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. So we still so prayerfully consider where is God calling you and leading you in this project. But through it all, be praying because as we do this, it's not just so we can say, "Yeah, we're a, we, we were a part of being able to uh, purchase a home." So yay us, aren't we great? No, that's not a part of it at all. Because through the work that we get to be a part of, there are women and children who won't just know about God, they'll experience God. They'll have that mountaintop experience because of you. Those moments in our lives that we'll never forget. I, re- I remember one of those. It wasn't uh, really a holy moment at all, but it was a moment that I'll never forget where, where literally my environment changed. It shifted. I was uh, in fifth grade. I was nine years old. It was October, and the twins, the Minnesota twins, a lot of you know that I'm a baseball fan unapologetically. Uh, I love sports. I love it. I spend way too much time watching sports, but in game seven of the 87 uh, World Series, our family was given four tickets to game seven. We had of a family of five, and so somebody had to stay home, and so thank God for moms, because she volunteered. I mean, I still think about that all the time. If I was my mom, I would say, you're the youngest, you stay home. We'll find you a babysitter. But she, she stayed home. So my dad, my brother, my sister and I were able to go to game seven. And it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. I mean, the twins had never won the World Series before. It's a Minnesota sports team. We don't win anything. So as a fifth grader, we go to game seven. And it's so loud. It was so loud. It was louder than being right next to a jet engine. And there were people who had these whistles and they were blowing them the whole time. I mean, you literally, your ears were ringing for all nine innings. And I'll never forget the, the last out at the bottom or, or of the top of the ninth inning. The Cardinals were, were batting. The Twins were in the field. They're up four to two. Ground ball to the third baseman, Gaetti. He throws it across the, the field to Kent Herbeck, the first baseman. And for the first time ever, the Twins were World Series champions. And we just sat there and we basked in it. And the place was going nuts. And we had to get out to our cars. And by the time we got out to our cars, it's like 
11 o'clock or midnight because people are partying everywhere. It was bananas. I was a fifth grader. I'm like, this is crazy. And so we started making the trip from Minneapolis, the three and a half to four hour trip to Fargo where we lived at the time. And, and it, it, was like, it was like a parking lot the whole way. I, mean, I didn't know that there could be traffic jams on I-94 heading north out of Minneapolis at two in the morning, but there was that night. And so we didn't get home. We didn't get back to Fargo until like 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning. I think it gets later and later every year that I retell the story. But I know it was the middle of the night and closer to morning. I remember, my, I remember this because my dad looked at us and he said, hey kids, you guys don't have to go to school today. Do you think we could have stayed home? We just experienced something that everybody else knew. This is Fargo, North Dakota. The closest thing we have to claim anything famous is Minneapolis. So all of my friends and all of my classmates, they knew, they'd watched the game, but I'd experienced it. I wanted to share it. So did my sister, so did my brother. It's the same kind of experience I was able to have with my son Trey just over a week ago. Just about uh, almost a year ago, not quite a year ago, uh, the switch flipped for him with sports. I don't know, he wasn't interested in him before at all. And all of a sudden, one day, he was just crazy about it. So it was my birthday a little over uh, a week ago. And so my, my wife, Bridget, said, hey, I, I want to get you a birthday present. I'm wondering if you and Trey would like to go to a Minnesota Timberwolves game. I'm like, oh, my goodness. God, thank you for giving me this woman as a wife. What an amazing and she's like, all four of us can go. And so she asked our daughter Jade, because my wife is a, a sports fan. So she asked my daughter Jade, sweetheart, do you want to go with Trey and with daddy to the, the, the Timberwolves game? And she said, no. So God bless moms. Because she stayed home. They stayed in the hotel and they were going to do a whole bunch of girl things. And I don't even want to know what they did in the hotel room. But I know their fingernails and their toenails were all sorts of colors by the time we got back. And I remember, I'll never remember, forget this night because the whole week leading up to the game, we watched the Timberwolves every time they were on. We watched the Timberwolves every game that they had played. And the weeks leading up to the game, my, my son, he would look at the court and he'd be like, Dad, we're going to see that. Dad, we're going to see that. And he could tell you every fact and figure about the Timberwolves, but nothing compared to when he actually experienced it. He said, Dad, I can't believe my eyes. And I'd made a mistake because the first place I did is I brought him down to the side of the court. And he said, Dad, is this where we're sitting? And I said, no, we're way up here, but it's still going to be cool. And he made me promise before the game was over, he said, Dad, it doesn't matter how much the Timberwolves might be winning or how bad they're getting beaten. We, Dad, you have to promise we will stay to the end of the game. And I said, sure, no problem, because he didn't want to miss it. And the whole way home the next day, all he could do was talk about everything he'd experienced. I think about that Twins game. And I think about the Timberwolves game. And I think about the tendency that I have in my life to be so busy that sometimes I miss those kinds of things. How easy, to be honest, how easy it could have been. Say, so you know what? It just doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it just doesn't, it, it, it's a few weeks before Easter. Yeah, it'd be great, but no, we just don't have time. And I wonder, 
I wonder how many experiences that we miss in our own lives because we're just going so fast. We live in a hyper-scheduled culture that's 24-7. Do you need to slow down? I mean, one of the reasons that we want you here in worship every single week is because for many of you, this is the only 70 minutes of quiet you might get to experience. And you're so busy in your job or you're so busy with your kids or you're so busy with your school or you're so busy with your passions. You're so busy with your extracurriculars. You're so busy with all of these things that you don't get to actually experience the goodness of life. Our nephew Spencer, just over a week ago, he's 20 years old, and he came and uh, spent about almost a week with us over his spring break, which we think is bananas. He's a college student from Grand Forks, North Dakota, and he spends spring break in Iowa. It's kind of puzzling. And as Spencer was here over the course of that week, Bridget and I continually asked ourselves, I wonder why he comes This has become now an annual thing for him. Spring break time, he comes, he spends the week. And we think, why why would he come to Iowa? Our kids love it. Their cousin is 20 years old. He's the coolest kid in the world. And he is. Until we realize that he needs to slow down. And there are a lot of things that he could do over spring break, but every single one of them just increases the volume of his life. This is the third night that he was here. We, we, we were talking about this, and we were talking about just the busyness. And the course of study that he's in right now, and literally how he cannot take a break, because if he does, he's going to be fall behind the rest of the people that are his classmates that are pursuing the same thing, and he can't afford to take a break. And I thought to myself, what are we doing? Folks, we're killing ourselves in our endless pursuit to try to get ahead. In our endless pursuit to to be in this 24-7 culture, we need to slow down. We need to stop and be able to be still and be able to, to come to terms with who God has created us. And he's created us good. And sometimes we get going so fast that we forget it, don't we? Spencer was telling us, our nephew was telling us that there's this new show that's on Netflix that is incredibly popular with the millennial generation. And some of you are in that generation and I bet you've started to watch this television show on Netflix. And it's called The Black Mirror. And it's a sci-fi look about the exaggerated sure, Twilight Zone-esque rabbit hole we're going on with our screens. You ask, well, what's the black mirror? Pick up your cell phone without turning on and tell me what you see. And the thing that allows us to connect is actually the thing that doesn't allow us to connect. It's 
the power of this story, we have the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can reduce the story to just one where a few people go up a mountain and something crazy happens and they go back down and they get back and busy with their everyday life, but it's something bigger than that. It takes place in Matthew chapter 17, but right before it in Matthew chapter 16, there's this rhythm that takes place in, God, in Matthew's gospel, that Jesus will talk about something and then he'll, he'll do it. There's a teaching and there's an instruction and there's a description. And then you see it, see it played out. That the sick are being healed and Jesus heals, heals the sick. And so in Matthew chapter 16, it's one of my favorite passages in, in Matthew's gospel. And Jesus and his disciples are walking to a region called Caesarea Philippi. And anytime uh, there is a name of a city or a town or a region that is, is given in Scripture, you need to take note of it because the author is trying to, to point something out. And Caesarea Philippi was known for its polytheism. Poly means many. Theos means gods. And so Caesarea Philippi was known for its worship of many gods. They had an altar to the god Pan. They had an altar to the god Baal. They had an altar where people could go and worship Caesar because Caesar was thought to be the son of God. There's a, remains of some of the altars that were in the place called the sanctuary of the gods. And so Jesus and his disciples are walking through the region, Caesarea Philippi, where people are consumed with worshiping all of these other gods. And Jesus asks the question to his disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? His disciples answer, they say, well, some people say you're, you're like Moses, or some people say like, you're like Elijah or John the Baptist or a great prophet. And then Jesus turns the question. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Because ultimately, not just for the disciples, but for you and for me, that, that's the most important question. Because there's a lot of opinions about, about who God is and who Jesus is and the importance of all of that. But what's valuable is to, to understand for ourselves, well, how do we answer that question? Because really, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. We tell it to our kids all the time. When they make a silly decision and we say, why do you do it? did you do that? You say, they say, well, our friends did it. And you say, well, if your friends jumped off a building, would you? So Jesus says, well, what does everybody else think? And they say, and he says, but what about you? And Peter, one of his disciples, he says, I believe you're the one. I believe you're the one that we've been waiting for. I believe you're greater than John the Baptist. I believe that you're greater than Elijah, this great prophet. I believe that you're the one that we've been waiting for. All of these prophecies existed in the Old Testament that would point to who the Son of God would truly be. And Peter says, I believe that you are the one who fulfills our hope and the promises of God. I believe you're the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And Jesus responds to Peter and he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you, Peter, and you are going to be the rock. You're going to be the rock in which I'm going to build my church. I think about, think about Peter's life. 
To 12 disciples, he's probably the most well-known of them all. And I think if, if, if I'm Peter, this was probably the ultimate moment of my life. If I'm going to tell anybody about the time that I had with Jesus, it's going to be the time where he told me that I was the one. He is the one, but he says, I'm going to be the one that everything is going to be built on. I'm going to be saying that this is the, the ultimate time of my following of Jesus. But that's not what Peter says. Peter writes two letters to, to, to early followers of Jesus. They're found in, in the, the back of, of the New Testament. The first is called First Peter. I know, it's, it's generic, but it works. And the second is Second Peter. And in Second Peter, it's, we can go through just a, a little segment of it, but it's better if you read the whole thing. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when we received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic of glory God, of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And because of that, everything changed. Peter and James and John, three of the disciples, they, they knew all about what Jesus was doing. But they experienced it for the first time. Shortly after, Peter says, you're the one that Jesus shows him. They go up this mountain called Mount Tabor, just a couple years ago, my wife Bridget and I were able to go to the Holy Lands, and this picture is one that, that I took as, as, we were come, as we were up on the very uh, mountain that the transfiguration happened. When we were in Israel, it was overcast most of the days, and so our tour guide would apologize almost every day to us, and he'd say, I'm so sorry, it's so cloudy, and I'd say to him every time, George, a cloudy day in Israel is better than a sunny day anywhere else at this point. So we go up there on the Mount, uh, Mount Tabor, the Mount of Transfiguration that Jesus brought Peter, James, and John up to. And as we were at the top, the, the clouds parted and the, the sun came down. And it was, it was one of those experiences for me. I mean, of the two weeks that we spent there, this is number one or two. All the experiences. Because for me... Something shifted. Like it did for Peter, James, and John as they went up with Jesus. It's Matthew chapter 17, verse 4. It's the men watched Jesus' appearance was transformed. Literally changed. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And it was in that moment they knew that there was something about this man that would change everything about them. Because there's a difference between knowing and, and experiencing. 
I mean, that's what we're all shooting for, right? That our goal as followers of Jesus isn't just to know all about God, but it's to experience God. And maybe you, you say in your life, you say, Jeremy, I've been trying to do that my whole life, and it and I've been doing all of these things and I've been and reading all of these things and I've been involved in all of these small groups and these studies and these trips and all of these things and, and I, just, I just can't get between my, my head knowledge and, and get it to transform into my heart knowledge. And tell me, what do I need to do? What do I have to do? Well, you're in the right place. And sometimes... We got to quit doing for God when we can just start being with God. And I don't say that in a flippant way at all. Sometimes we think about this transfiguration experience and say, yeah, but you got to get up off, you got to get off that mountain. Now we want to soak in those experiences. That's why worship is so important. I don't know if you noticed that when Alyssa was leading into the second song of worship, she, she got emotional. Isn't that beautiful? My guess is that for the rest of the week, she won't forget that. Me, when I'm talking in front of people, I want to cry because I'm so scared. Her? It's just another breakthrough. Don't underestimate the ways that God can break through into your life when you make time for Him. When you start to look at the world around you and see the beauty that's in it, it's not perfect. It's not without struggle. But the beauty's all around us. I don't know if you've been watching much of the basketball tournament that takes place right now. Some of you are watching it right now. I can see it. <laughs> and don't tell me the score because I'm going to DVR it and I'm going to be watching when I get home. But there is a huge upset on Friday night where UMBC was the first 16 seed to ever beat a number one seed. And, and we were in bed that night and I was trying to make sure that Bridget, my wife, knew the, the, the historical, historical significance of what, what took place. And she said, I get it, I get it. But there's another Cinderella story and it's Loyola of Chicago. See this? They've had two upsets. They beat Miami, a six seed, their first game, and then... Last night they beat a number, they, they beat Tennessee, who I think was a four seed. This guy right here was the guy who uh, hit the game winning shot. A lot of you recognize him. He started his career at Iowa State. All good things come from Iowa, right? But the most beautiful thing is, did you see the interview after he hits the game-winning shot? So he hits the game-winning shot. He doesn't have a moment to even think 
about what he's going to say. And there's a reporter right in his face and says, tell me, tell me, what do you think about right now? And he said, I'm sorry. He apologized for it. He's sorry, but I have to say this. All glory to God. Did you hear that? I mean, the kid hits the, the biggest shot of his career. The first thing he says, all glory to God. You want to know why he said that? It's because of this woman. A lot of you have done a lot of reading. She is one of the most Googled names right now. And I've Googled her like 10 times, trying to find out more and more and more about her. Her name is Sister Jean. She didn't have her shoes on last night because she was in the wheelchair because she had hurt her hip. But she's been the team chaplain for years. She's been at the school since 1961. She never misses a game. And Sister Jean is the chaplain for this team. And she's a part of every pregame. <laughs> and they said oftentimes the coach will talk about certain things and then it's her time to talk and so she'll kind of correct the coach on some of the things that he didn't say. And so he says that if we have an MVP on our team, it's her. Why? She allows us to see the one thing. Tournament's going to end. But there's one thing that will continue on. The relationship with the God that's holy. Our lives are busy. Life happens all of the time. And sometimes it feels like it continually picks up and goes faster and faster and faster and faster. Stop. Don't miss it. Don't miss the glory of God that breaks through even in the most surprising of situations. Millions of people last night heard about God because of a 90-plus-year-old woman who pours her life into young men to remind them that even if their basketball careers end someday, and on a team like Loyola of Chicago, most of their careers are going to end when their school does. But God's presence never ends. Literally knocked Peter, James, and John over. They fell to the ground, overwhelmed by God's love, swept off their feet. And Jesus literally has to command them. He calls them, he says, He says, Get up. He says, Get up to all three of them. Get up. But you want to know the fascinating thing? That phrase, get up, in the original Greek, you want to know what it means? Rise, arise, be raised. Allow this experience that you've had with, with God be something that, that raises you to a new life, to a life that you never thought or you never could have imagined, or you never could have dreamed of. Because when you experience God loves, it's so great. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, it's so great that it literally brings you to your knees and you recognize how wide and how long and how high and how deep God's love for you truly is. And you really realize his light that shines 
And you realize that it's for you. That God's love, the same God that overwhelmed those three men up on that mountain is the same God whose love overwhelms you and me today in in ways in which it literally causes us to lose our ability to speak. His presence is here. It's all around you. Every place that you go, Paul promises that there's nothing in all of creation that could ever separate you from that. There's no place that you could ever go that God isn't with you. And sometimes we need to stop and look around and see the beauty and the power of God that shines through, that allows us to know of who he is and who we are. Earlier in his gospel, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, Blessed are you. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. You're blessed. We get the chance to come and to worship and and hear God's word proclaimed, the good news, the promise of Jesus Christ that is the only thing that has the ability to transform us. 